Hello and once again welcome as we continue our study on prayer based on the book Praying with Passion Grounded in Obedience. It is available through my website at prayingwithpassion.com. I urge you to get it so that you can get more out of each of these studies. Also, click the follow button on Spotify and Apple Podcast using Albert M. McKegg to receive all the past and future episodes of this Bible study on the power of prayer. This is the third session of our study in praying in spiritual warfare. I was fortunate to be able to deliver much of this message to New Hope Church in Navasota, Texas, and it fits in so well with our study on prayer and spiritual warfare that I'm including it here. In the message, I titled it, The Devil You Don't Know, and the reason for that is that there are so many subtle influences that Satan exerts on our lives that we often don't recognize them for what they are, that is, being an act of Satan. Hollywood may hate Christianity, but it seems to love the opposite. Culture denies Christ, but embraces the opposite. Satan is often pictured as a red, human-like creature with horns, a tail, and carrying a pitchfork. You might see him in cartoons of the devil sitting on one shoulder and an angel on the other, and the devil sitting there saying, do it, do it, do it, and the angel saying, don't do it, don't do it. Well, in our modern culture, Satan becomes more of a cartoon character than a real entity. In Colossians 1.16, Paul says that in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. The all things here includes things in heaven and things invisible. And the expression thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities is often used to describe spiritual beings in opposition to God and his people. And Satan is under Christ's authority. Satan is not an eternal entity free to do whatever he wants to do, but he obviously does have some freedom here on earth. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan fell from grace because he was in rebellion against God. He may have fallen from grace, but his influence is widely felt in the world today. Jesus knows who Satan is and was very specific when he described him. Jesus was in a discussion with some Pharisees one day and they were questioning Jesus' authority and why he was doing what he was doing. This is what Jesus said to them and then he described Satan as reflected in John 8 verse 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we know that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Now keep in mind that a really good liar will tell you just a little bit of the truth mixed in with the lie so that the lie seems to make sense. There's just enough reality in a good lie to make a person think the lie is the truth. And as we watch the news, which I really try to avoid, or follow national issues, which I do follow, we see all kinds of things that we know in our heart are lies. But those things are being rationalized and presented as a new truth. For instance, biological males competing against biological females in sports. Transgenderism, which is a person whose gender identity differs from the sex the person was born with. Drag queens hosting children's reading clubs and people thinking that's okay. 
open homosexuals in pulpits of churches supposedly preaching the gospel of Christ. Government leaders who lie, cheat, and steal and are never called to account for their actions. Open public persecution of practicing Christians. All of those things are happening, but here's what Scripture says about such things in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13-15. through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So when we think of Satan, we think of evil and spiritual warfare. We think of what we're seeing in the breakdown of our culture. Murder, rape, robbery, rampant drug use, child molestation, pornography, lying, and deceit on a national scale. So many things that we can see out in the open that we attribute to Satan and to his minions, the demons. Frankly, those evil things are fairly easy to recognize. We know they are evil. Those things are from the devil we do know. We know him because we see the obvious results all around us. Most of us, though, should be looking out for the more common and subtle ways that the devil attacks us. His favorite tactics are often more subtle than the obvious, and we ought not to let the severe open sins we see distract us from the more common sins we don't see. In the last couple of sessions, we talked about demonic possession. Keep in mind that actual demonic possession is somewhat rare, although it does take place. What is more common, much more common, frankly, is oppression or demonic influences in the lives of people. That's why I entitled the message at New Hope, The Devil You Don't Know, because we often don't realize the influences that Satan is exerting on us and on those around us. In the spiritual battle of life, we need to develop some discernment in recognizing, naming, and understanding the devil we don't know and his ordinary tactics. So in addressing the devil we don't know, here are four common tactics of the devil. The first we'll look at is deception. Deception is the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. I'll repeat what Jesus said of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's in John 8:44. The devil deceives us with his faults and empty promises. Most of these relate to the lie that we will be happier and have a better life if we will do this thing or that thing, which is a sin or if we will deny some aspect of scriptural truth because it doesn't fit with modern culture. When you think about it, almost all of whatever passing pleasures come with sin, they are just that. They're passing. They're temporary. Too often, following the sin, right after all the happy we have for doing the bad, there will be a time of great suffering, maybe depression for the letdown of what we've done. Yet despite this repeatedly painful experience, we humans remain gullible to the devil's deceptions. It's like gambling addiction. Just one more roll of the dice, or just one more hand of poker, or just one more card in blackjack. Just one more, and one more, and then we'll win. But we seem to keep losing. 
The devil also deceives us by suggesting all sorts of complex compromises with the truth, especially in our thinking. By making simple things complex, Satan tries to confuse us and conceal the fundamental truths about Scripture. Our minds love to indulge in rationalizations and complex thinking as a way of avoiding the truth, and we end up making excuses to explain away that thinking or to justify what we want to do. We keep trying to fit our culture into Christianity rather than fitting Christianity into culture. For example, it's really simple that there are two genders, male and female. Really simple. There are no more than that. It's simple that there is Christ and then there is the world. It's simple. It is simple that there are only two ways to live. We live in Christ or we live in the world. Those are not complex things. But we humans, based on the scheming with the devil that we allow in, think about endless complications by asking ourselves, but what if this? And what about that? Or is this person is so unique and different, there must be an exception. Or what about their feelings? You know, along with the devil, we put together all sorts of possible positions and rationalizations and exceptions to the rule or potential sob stories in order to avoid living according to scriptural truth. The devil also deceives us with, well, I'll call it wordsmithing. And thus, through exaggerations and false advertising, the devil deceives us. We too easily cooperate by saying, oh, all that's good, or it's okay, or more likely that it's no big deal. But in reality, it is a big deal. It is what God calls sin. The devil also deceives you through the sheer volume of information. I mean, have you been on YouTube? I know your own podcast as you're listening to one right now, but you can find almost anything out there on YouTube. There's tons of good information out there, but information is not the same as truth. Data can be assembled very carefully to make misleading points. Certain facts and figures can be emphasized to the exclusion of other balancing truths. And with the volume of information out there, we miss the fundamental truths and the balance of information we need for accurate understanding. And thus, even information that is true in itself can become a form of deception. The news media sometimes exercises their greatest power over us in what they fail to report. And this, too, is a way that the devil brings deception upon us. There are so many ways Satan seeks to deceive us. Do not believe everything you hear. And while we ought not to be cynical, we should seek to verify what we see and hear and square it with God's revealed truth in Scripture. Romans 12, 2 addresses this and says it best. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The next trick of Satan that we'll talk about is division, the act, process, or an instance of separating or keeping apart. You know, one of Jesus' final prayers for us was that we would be one. And here is the verse from John 17, verses 20 through 23. This is Jesus praying. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may also be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, 
you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus prayed this just before he went out to suffer and die for us. As such, he highlights that one of the chief aspects of his work on the cross is to overcome the divisions intensified by Satan. We are to be one in Christ. Division is diabolical. The Greek root of the word diabolical means to cut, tear, or divide. Jesus prays and works to reunify what the devil divides. That should be our prayer as well. In our study of the heart of God, we understand that we should be praying in the will of God. Well, here it is, in part, unity in the fellowship of believers. Now, that does not mean that we all think alike, act alike, and have no rational opinions or thoughts of our own. It means unity in the belief that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God who lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, and raised himself from the dead and is living today. The devil's work of division starts within each one of us, inside ourselves, as we experience our own internal and headstrong drives. Some are honorable, creative, and enlightening, but others are depravity, sinful, and destructive. So often we struggle internally and feel torn apart, much as Paul described in Romans chapter 7. He said this, The good that I want to do, I do not do, and when I try to do good, evil is at hand. This is the work of Satan, to divide us and confuse us within. Those sinful thoughts start in our mind and work their way into our heart, and then we turn away from scriptural truth with our minds. And as Paul lays out in Romans 8, the chief work of the Lord is to establish within us the unity of soul and body in accordance with the unity of His truth. And that unity should be in sync with scripture, and it always will be. And of course, the devil's attack against our unity spills out into many divisions among us externally. So many things help drive this division, and the devil taps into all of them. Included in the tools of division is resentment, fears, misunderstanding, greed, pride, politics, anger, race, past hurts, locale, whether you live in or out of some place. The devil's goal is always to divide us, both internally, within ourselves, and from one another, externally. We should realize that regardless of our struggles with others, we all share a common enemy, which is Satan. He causes the divisions among us. Paul said in Ephesians 6:12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. After that, there is Satan's tool of diversion. To be diverted is to be turned away from our primary goal or task. A new or a different direction, we look one side or we look at the other side and we turn to the side of our true focus. For all of us, the most critical focus of our lives should be on God and on the good things waiting for us in heaven. Our earthly path is toward heaven, along the path of faith, obedience to the truth, love of God, and love of neighbor. And thus the devil does all that he can to turn us away from our one true goal. He tries to redirect our attention. He diverts us. Perhaps he will do this by making us too absorbed in the passing things of the world 
whether work or play or games on our phones or whatever it might be, you know, many claim that they're too busy to pray or to go to church or to seek other forms of spiritual sustenance. They become absorbed in short-lived worldly things and distractions. They claim they need a day of rest. Well, they do need a day of rest, but not in the exclusion of God. Anxieties and fears also distract us. Through these, the devil causes us to fixate on the fears about temporary things that are in our imagination, and they may affect us in a negative way. Jesus said in Matthew 10:28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, we should have a holy reference and fear directed toward the Lord and focus on Him rather than on some unknown or future thing may happen. When we focus on God and the love of Jesus Christ, many of our fears will be seen in a better perspective, or they may even go away altogether. We need to keep our eyes on the cross. Remember that old song, the cross before me, the world behind me? That's scriptural, and that's what we need to do. But in this matter of fear, the devil says just the opposite. He says we should be afraid of the thousands of little things in the world that might, maybe, afflict us in this passing earth and not think about the true outcome of our faith in Jesus Christ, which is our salvation. We should fear cancer, fear other illnesses, fear the economy, fear our neighbors we don't know very well. We should fear COVID or the next pandemic disease that comes along. Those are all tools of the devil we don't know. Speaking of COVID, can you think of anything that has divided us as a people more in the last few years than COVID? Get the shots or don't get the shots. Stay at home or don't stay at home. Close the business or don't close the business. Close the schools or don't close the schools. And with the divisions, our attention was then diverted away from the church, away from fellowship, away from community. And I'm not saying which side is correct. I don't know. I don't know what the science really is. But we now know that there has been deception involved in much of what has been done and said over the last three or four years. So when we look at COVID as just one example, we see the demonic tools of deception, division, diversion, all wrapped up into one. Entertainment, even wholesome and enjoyable entertainment, can divert us from God and our willing service to God. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, they can worship God just fine in their fishing boat or in their hunting blind or on the golf course? Well, that may be true, but not to the exclusion of actual worship of God. Those are all diversions from scriptural truth. At the heart of all diversion is the fact that the devil wants us to focus on lesser things in order to avoid focusing on greater things, such as moral decisions, the overall direction of our life, or the truth of Scripture. Our prayer life should keep us focused on the good things and not on all those other distractions. The final common tool of Satan is discouragement. And discouragement means to deprive of courage or confidence, to be discouraged. You know, in looking what COVID did to us, we can add discouragement to the other three tools of Satan. For people, and certainly as Christians, it's good to have high goals and high standards. It's good to have goals that we work toward. Better education, better skills at work, a better situation in life, better health. Those are all good things. But Satan then comes up and often tries to poison that which is good. Satan tempts us 
to be impatient with ourselves or with others. We sometimes expect to reach our good goals in an unreasonably short amount of time or without proper preparation or effort or training and without realistic expectations of what is possible. We don't cut ourselves any slack or we don't cut others any slack. We get discouraged. And when we rely on luck instead of faith, we get discouraged. Some get discouraged with themselves and their imperfections or with others and give up on the pursuit of the sanctification process of getting better and more spiritually mature with time. People give up on the church because of the imperfect people in the church and the other imperfections that are found there. People give up on improving themselves and their places in life. The devil discourages us in so many ways. Keep in mind that it is true that there is always room for improvement in our lives. We can always do more and do better in our lives. But here's where the devil comes in. For if we can always do more, then it is possible to think and begin to think that we've never done enough. And the devil then discourages us, sowing unreasonable demands within us as to what we can or should be doing every day. That can then turn into a works-based faith that tells us that we will never be good enough unless we work harder and do more. We forget about God's grace and the gift of salvation through grace alone. The devil also discourages us through simple things like fatigue, personal failings, setbacks, simple mistakes, and other obstacles that are common to our human condition and to living in a fallen world with limited resources. We get discouraged when we believe we never have enough time or enough things or enough money or enough of whatever we feel shortened about. In all these ways, the devil seeks to discourage us, to make us want to give up. Only a properly developed sense of our own worth in the eyes of God can save us from these discouraging works of Satan. In order to guard against a discouraged or deflated ego, we need to learn humility, which is reverence for the actual truth about ourselves, not Satan's fiction about ourselves. Humility teaches us that we grow and develop at a certain pace, that we do have setbacks, that we do live in a world that is hard and far from perfect. Humility will give us patience, both with ourselves and with others. Humility and patience will allow us to have a good idea of who we are in Christ and what we can really do in our lives. Being humble and recognizing these things helps us to lean more on the Lord and to trust in His help, and we do that through prayer. When that happens, then we do start to get better and do better things in life. Finally, how do we fight these four common tactics of Satan? We do that through biblical competence. I've used that term before, and it comes from my son, Pastor Don McCaig. We need to know what the Bible says, and we need to apply and practice what the Bible says. The only way we can do that is to be in God's Word on a regular and even daily basis. Ephesians 6 verses 11 through 13 tells us why we should do that. It says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm.
When you read that entire chapter in Ephesians, you will see how important it is to know, understand, and apply all of God's Word to our lives. Then we will truly be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, both the devil we do know and the devil we don't know. Then Satan will be defeated not only in the heavenly realm, but in any influence he tries to use over our lives to oppress us. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ that helps you in your fight against Satan, I encourage you to make a decision for Christ today. For you, I pray this, Lord Jesus, I want to know you and follow you. I am a sinner lost in a world of sin. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I give my life to you, to follow you, and to believe in you. I do believe you are the living Son of God who lived on earth, died for my sins, and has been resurrected to live forever. Lord, save me in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Next time, we will look at praying in adversity. We all have adversity and setbacks in our lives. How we deal with those adversities and setbacks will determine how we get through those times. I'll see you next time. And until then, may God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Thank you.